Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Tobias Carlisle is the founder and principal of Acquirers Funds. For regulatory reasons, we will not discuss any of the Acquirers Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquirers Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. And we're live. It's uh, 10.30 on the West Coast, 1.30 on the East Coast, 6.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time, 6.30 p.m. UTC, something like that. Consult your local directories otherwise. (laughs) It's the 2020 wrap. We're going to bury 2020 put a stake through its heart, make sure it doesn't get back up again. The year in review. How are you, fellas? What's happening? Lots of people talking a lot of shit out there. That's what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) I really haven't noticed. I said, you know, I said on the Twitter machine that I was scared. I'm not trying to imply that, like, I think people should sell. Sometimes I'm, I'm worried about, like, who follows me or whatever. That's not the comment. I'm just saying, like, there is some serious chest pumping going on and, uh, you know, sub to my newsletter because I'm up so big. Like, I would run far away from that shit, but that's just me. Just got to give a, a shout out to Townsville. Right Townsville in the house. Good job, Townsville. In Australia, in Queensland, far north Queensland. Quick trip to the Great Barrier Reef from there. I mean, the funny thing is the year I put up used to be considered a good year, and I would never fucking promote it like I see some people promoting themselves. I find some of this stuff offensive. That's why I had to say it today. Uh, so I don't know. If you're young and you're listening, stay away from the, the hucksters. Don't play into their business. Worry about your own. It's been so long since I've had one, I don't even know what I would do anymore. Probably I'm going to spike the football if it happens. Well, you <laughs> you're just so it. overdue. <laughs> I mean, it t- it takes skill to miss this bad repeatedly. You can't do it by accident, just like randomly, so unlikely. randomly mashing the keyboard. I'd be doing better. But here's the thing. I mean, I think if I mean if you did, you would have. I think you would deserve it. But then the other side of it too is, I don't think that you'd be like. So, by the way, here's what I'm selling, and you need to buy it now. You'd probably, honestly, given who you are, you'd probably be like, it was better to buy it when it was a lot cheaper than it is now, but I still think it's a good strategy, right? I just, I don't know, man. I guess it's it's what finance always has been. I shouldn't even care about it, but it bothers me a little. Well, that's the theme for 2020, then. <laughs> I'm bothered a little. <laughs> Promoters, man. P&G in the house. Here we go. What do we got for topics today? Uh, we... I, I, I didn't actually prepare anything. I just thought we'd do a year in review like uh, the uh, chem professor, David. Jeez, uh, I'm just going to blank on his column. last name. Column. Yeah, yeah column's column. year in review. We'll do a year in review. I got something. I could probably start if you guys want me to. Kick it too. off. Um, Jake, you want to talk about what you're going to talk about? You got veggie light, right? I got a little bit of veggies, yeah. What Toby was calling baby carrots. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I have this concept from chess uh, that I'm going to try to torture an analogy out of. Oh, now, now we're talking my language. Although I, I can't, yeah. I can't be, t- I, can't, I can't talk too much because I've been playing. Uh, oh, now I'm going to forget his name too. Kyler, 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 Kyler. Yeah, Kyler KH Turbo has just been pantsing me on chess, so I'm going to just be quiet now. <laughs> oh no. I told him my chess.com rating, which I will not announce in public because it's embarrassingly low, and he just laughed at me. I was like, whatever, dude, I'm learning. Mate, he's off 1841. Me, that is, 1841 is like a scratch golfer. Oh, yeah? Wow. Yeah, that's that's terrifying. He would just take me to the woodshed every time. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry, I got attacked JT. in like the... Uh, I, you know, on my screen, I got attacked on like the bottom left corner yesterday and it just freaked me out. I didn't know how to respond. They just picked me apart and I just had to like, I had to push my king all the way to the into this corner. I was like, oh, I'm <laughs> fucked. Once that happened, I knew I was dead. And sure enough, I was in not too long. Um, Anyway, I'll start this thing off. So this weekend I had posted the Mark Leonard interview had come out 
And I thought it was a really good interview. And there was a question about how would you, um, you know, what advice would you give to a company that wanted to attract or, or what advice would you give to a young company? And his answer was, you know, know try to work hard to attract the the shareholders that you deserve right and then subsequently he commented on how index funds are becoming a more important part of what they do and i you know made the typical error of like hearing what i wanted to hear and not what he was actually saying right and like i sort of sent out a tweet and well i did send out a tweet but it was it was uh i guess it was half of what i was actually thinking but part of what i am slightly annoyed at about that entity is I have tried to now I haven't gone like fully forensic through the internet but I've tried to find information on it and it's a really difficult entity to find like transcripts relatively uh, or any type of direct source information so I always feel like I'm messing around with hearsay on it and I really don't want to invest based on hearsay right so I mean I know that everybody likes the shareholder letters I think they're okay. Like they're not mind blowingly awesome to me. So I'm just, I was looking for more information. That podcast I thought gave a really good peek into how he thought. Why did it keep him so getting I, taken down? I, they don't want it out. And I get that. He had some personal stuff that he said on it. And I mean, I, you know, I won't share it for that reason. Uh, like I, I want to respect his wishes in that way, but I, I had said something on Twitter and I got like legitimate pushback and I appreciate that, right? And I think that part of what is awesome about Twitter is if you're open to hearing people push back on you, you can, like, you know, receive the other side of things. So you're talking about um, Constellation. Let's just, you're talking about Constellation Software, CSU.to is the ticker. We're talking Mark Leonard, yeah. who's the uh, ZZ top bearded CEO, the man, the myth, the legend. Started in, you can go back, couple of decades early 2000s starts writing these letters that are very buffett like in relation to acquiring internet-based web-based businesses software vms vertical market software businesses the letters are better than bill is giving him credit for <laughs> i but, mean i like them i like them i just don't i, I guess um, but who writes a letter like that i mean who wrote if you you're telling me that I if you just with you. if you didn't know who he was and then you found the letters I'm not, if you I'm went not the other way around on the guy. if you I found like the letters Mark you'd Leonard. be like this guy is legitimate I get it and that's what I'm saying part of my error was like I was I was imposing too much of my own like wants on what that like he he does not exist to serve me honestly he could probably care less that I exist and he probably should care less that I exist my only point is or what I was trying to convey is if you're trying to attract shareholders like I perceive myself to be, I think that open and honest podcasts, like a guy like that, I will partner with, right? Like I will trust him. The way he broke down how he thought about certain things and where he saw people making mistakes or how he thought about things, I I believe in him after that. And I I guess that what I'm really trying to say with the tweet, which I can't or didn't because one, I didn't frame it right into its Twitter is I think companies should put out stuff like that. I mean, if you really want like partner shareholders and you are open to almost doing like what we did on our podcast, right? Like being honest and ad- admitting like maybe some vulnerabilities and how you're thinking, but also why you're willing to accept that and what you're willing to give up strategically and stuff. I think that's how company communication should go in the future. Cause I think this IR canned adjusted EBITDA bullshit can, you know, is for the birds, right? So. Um, I just, I hope that, I hope that as the internet, um, enables communications, you know, my, my naive hope is that maybe more people put out stuff like he did and keep it up and, you know, the personal stuff, I understand why he kept it down and and it was for internal consumption. It wasn't supposed to be shared. So I'm not trying to go at him. The other thing that happened on Twitter was I got into a little bit of a Peloton, like, you know, chit chat money, they interviewed, um, Ryan Reeves, who I like, and he is bullish on Peloton, and they tagged me in it. And, like, you know, it forced me to think about it more. Um, and I was I was actually thankful that they did that, right? I, I don't – I have the same conclusion that I had before. But I think that, um, you know, if you're open to people pushing back on you, 
uh, Twitter can be super powerful. And and the Peloton conversation made me sharpen exactly what my beef is with that and why I don't believe in it. You know, my third episode was, you know, I sort of pushed back on Puru. And Puru, if you're listening, you kind of took that a little bit weakly. I wasn't trying to really come at you, but, like, I don't think you're a big-time bank investor. I'd say it to your face. I'm saying it now. I think that's why your returns are good. And, like, if you're pissed off, go enjoy your returns, bro. Like, why are you getting mad at me saying that you're not a bank investor? Like, come on, dude. You're up 400%. If I was up 400%, people could take a shit on me and I wouldn't care. I'd be like, whatever. I'll clean it off with all these dollar bills, y'all. Anyway, We've careened so the to the podcast. I, that's yeah. what I was, it's on my mind. I think that there's a very positive way to use Twitter. Part of why I think, I mean, part of me was snarky with Peru. I mean, I got to own that. But he was talking about something he has no idea about. So, you know, and I do have a little bit of an idea. So I get a little bit offended when people take shots at banks because I'm emotionally attached to that because it's where I came from. When do, when do banks make a comeback? That's all I want to know. I don't know if they ever do. Well, like, they're, I don't know if they're, they're, they're... Allowed to re, they're allowed to start buybacks and so on. Yeah. Well, look, dude, like his comment was that the Fed is like propping up the banking system and enabling buybacks. Right, because they just approved buybacks. Guess what? The Fed is propping all this stuff up. Like, if you don't think that tech valuations are propped up by the Fed, you're taking crazy pills. So, if you think that it's just banks, you're out of your mind. That's I, my comment. I don't think that it's. Like, I don't think that it's affecting banks too much. It's yeah, not exactly. It's crushing banks. That's my whole point. Like, they can't yeah. make money because of what the Fed's doing. And if you think that they're under reserved on their loan losses, we got our ass kicked over and over and over again. Because the regulations are so tight on what banks are allowed to do now that like a lot of the risky stuff is in these alt lender unitronch facilities that have no covenants and we had to go to compete with things called covenants. And like I'm sorry if your brain doesn't accept the fact that banks are actually safer than they used to be. I can't help you with that. They are. You don't have to believe me. Believe any of the good bank in investors. But a bunch of generalists having stupid opinions about banks doesn't go too far in my mind. So, you know, I push back. Honestly, state of SAS, it's made you so much more money. Like, why would you ever look at banks? But if I push back, like, don't get mad at me. Happy holidays, everybody. Thinking about. <laughs> what? Happy holidays, everybody. <laughs> I like the guy. I do like him. I mean, I don't know. I don't have the beef that other people have with him. I'm just saying, you know, that's, Did, that's what's been on my Twitter mind. Didn't you just come off the golf course? Get yourself a Christmas shot, don't I? Dude, I am actually kind of upset because uh, I really wanted to drink a cab on this podcast. And I came in and I had to run up to the office. And now I'm stuck with this spin drift. I did want to have some alcohol today. You guys got hats Sparkling on. I don't have anything. Water. Go get it. We'll just we'll just kill some dead air for a while. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to rant. I mean, I know I am ranting, but. I like it. Not nearly as angry as it sounds. Yeah. I think uh, a couple of points. One, back to the Mark Leonard thing. Uh, I agree with you. Like, I think there are businesses that are doing things the right way from a, a longer term capitalism, you know, sustainability standpoint. And I like I want those people to be exemplars and to plan a flag and to show the way for others to follow. And I think there's maybe not enough of that. And a lot of it's because it's like, Hey, I don't, I don't have time to be out here running a PR thing because I'm running the goddamn business, right? Like that's my job. Uh, but at the same time, like, I think there's still a lot of societal good that is done by business that kind of gets glossed over and, and could be highlighted by some of these really talented and smart CEOs and management teams that are, are doing it the right way. But then isn't, well, that, dude, isn't that what they're doing by they're right. Their letters are pretty good. I mean, they do have a business to run. You can't, you can't always yeah. be just sitting on podcasts look the smartest pushback and this is why i do honestly like like twitter i don't want them to sit on podcasts and run some promotional podcast strategy what was pointed out to me by uh nick uh nakari i don't know what his current handle is but um he was like look this guy is optimizing for his employees right he's not in it for like you or the market or whatever and that is really useful like i didn't have my brain was not thinking in that way, and I was really thankful that he wrote back to me in that way. 
um, I, I do. I did learn, like, if you're going to say something about, you know, CSU that's negative, you better come prepared because <laughs> the shareholder base is coming for you. This is the but traditional I, airing of grievances, uh, part of the uh, Seinfeldian. What, what's yeah. an airing of grievance? What am I airing? I'm not airing anything. I, I think that this is the, the power of that platform. And um, like to Jake's point, you know, with all the time that these guys spend at like all these sell side conferences, recycling the same bullshit, like how about you sit down and interview like you could accomplish more for your shareholder base with an interview in that type of format that they did for like the real shareholders. Forget about the institutional people. Um some of which are real, but whatever. Who have all the money? <laughs> yeah, and they get the access anyway. Like I don't know. But let's let's talk like CSU. I like CSU is a great business. It falls into what I would regard as like invincible. Yeah, it's incredible. Owner operator CEO founder operator founder owner operator CEO doing an absolutely cracking job in an expanding sector. Massive TAM. Uh, the stock price is always super expensive. I mean, what, what's he doing wrong? <laughs> he's not doing anything wrong. That's what if I'm he's saying. trading like, at a big I, discount, then yeah, go and give the go and give the uh, the the weeping interview. But but otherwise, uh, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep crushing it. I know. Well, that's what I think people said to me, and I, I and they cheap. were right. My whole point is like, if I got defensive about my position, then I wouldn't have like realized that I was the one being stupid, right? And I was. But the power of Twitter is like enabling you to send out that thought and then get like meaningful feedback and be like, dude, you're being an idiot. And you know what? They were correct. So I think that like receiving the information when you're stupid and not getting offended is a very useful part of that tool. Yeah, that's good. Twitter's if you're... quite the rub your nose in it device, huh? <laughs> yeah. As long as you're willing, right? If you like dig in when somebody clearly points out something that you're wrong on and you're like, oh, now I'm going to fight. Like, all right, whatever. Like, that's on you. But it's made me much smarter. And the Peloton conversation did too. No disagreements. Let's, uh, said, let's, let's do Jake's topic. That stock is priced for a rosy future. Oh, man. Always has it could been. It uh, could happen. All right, so... With the, the popularity of the Queen's Gambit and chess, you know, apparently is all the rage right now. I thought it'd be kind of fun to take a concept out of there that I, I actually learned about relatively recently. And then uh, not through chess, but uh, and then see if I can torture an analogy out of it for us uh, as I That's want to do. That's what we do. That's what we do. So, and Toby, you probably already know what this is, given that you're like a... You know, chess god, but uh, no, no, no. I'm like a, I'm like a terrible chess. I'm like a, a patzer. Fourteen hundred to sixteen hundred. Fourteen hundred to sixteen hundred. That's my, that's my rating. Just so you can all have a good giggle, and you can come okay. and play me on the, on the chess machine and see how bad I really am. <laughs> all right. So there's this concept, and I'm, I'm sure I'm saying this wrong, but something like Zug Swan. And it's so it's spelled Z U G Z W A N G. I don't know. And all right, good. All right. So, so what it, it's actually German for compulsion to move. And oh. the concept is that there's often times in the game, especially towards the end game, where because you have to move, you are in that's right, Zig yeah. Swan or whatever it is, right? And you're it means that you're putting yourself in a disadvantageous right. position because you have to move. Right. And none of your moves are good moves and you know it. So I when markets are frothy like they are right now, I think is a relatively safe thing to say, although apparently no one cares. Um, <laughs> you know, you kind of have to ask yourself, am I actually forced to move right now? Am I in Zugswan or however the hell they say it in German? Um, <laughs> so I would say that, you know, for many professional investors, the answer for them is yes, because especially if they have shorter term oriented clients, you know, they want those easy returns when they're available and then they don't want the losses when when those come around. Right. Um, so they are in a place where they're, they have a compulsion to move. Right. Like they can't they can't watch everyone else making this easy money. They have to participate. Right. If the song is playing, they've got to be dancing. Well, you know, if I, you kind of invert that, like. Who would you say is the best at keeping themselves out of the compulsion to move? 
Warren Buffett. I think that's a good answer. Yeah. Right? Isn't every single one of his moves about the future chess game where not being in a place where he has a compulsion to move? And so you could almost say, like, he's optimized for flexibility to move by the avoidance of being put into the compulsion to move. And I, I find that to be a really interesting kind of inversion. Um, so, you know, if you're not a professional and you don't have outside capital that's demanding the easy money, this, this is where your real advantage lies, is that you you can afford to not put yourself in places where you have a compulsion to move. You don't have to do what everyone else is doing to to avoid the career risk. I love that concept. You'll find it appearing in my next book uh, <laughs> as soon as I learn how to spell it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to expect some credits in the uh, the end of that book. You, you can get credit. I've described it in a different way in the book, but I, I understand the concept. I've played myself into that. I've been in that position many, many times. That's that's not uncommon as a chess player to be like every game. <laughs> no, I mean, I you you win you win. I, I win about half of them. It's just against weaker opponents. <laughs> By the way, I don't need any credit because this concept's like 400 years old. So <laughs> I, I try to give credit where it's due. Yeah, that, I, I mean, it's. The, I think you do encounter it for real in the market. I mean, there, there's that. Lots of people are considering now. Like, do you sell? I mean, probably you can hold on to, to next year, but do you sell? You know, this year. So you've got lots of gains. Do you sell this year, and incur short-term capital gains tax, payable next year, or do you hold for long-term capital gains? For long-term losses. For theoretical <laughs> long-term capital gains next year. You know, you've got to get through, I guess you've got to get through the March minefield, March 2021 minefield to collect on them and then you push mm -hmm. it out. So, like, the time value of money question there is very material. So, you got, that's that's a really difficult decision to make. I I, uh, I wouldn't want to be in a position having to make that. That's Zugswan in investing. Yeah, you, you avoided that by avoiding all those gains. That was well played. <laughs> Yeah, I foresaw that. <laughs> Just bought a whole Stepped lot of value stocks when the market fell over. Stepped around that landmine. <laughs> Very Buffett-like saw ahead in the future. Yeah, you're playing the long game. Congrats. Really, really long game. Just, just, just waiting for value to turn. That's 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 Zug's one all by itself. Yeah. Well, I would say the other. No, I don't know. Uh, this is Mike Bartlett wants me to shut up, so I did. Also, I don't like you either, Mike. Um, the, uh, I would say that the other thing is just because of that, uh, like you don't have to swing. You can also choose to swing in spots, right? I, I do think like, it, look, there are like Ryan Reeves is a smart guy. That guy's not like just buying Peloton on a Momo thing. So there are assets that you may see a spot in, but I agree with you. I mean, you, I just I wouldn't avoid something because it's optically expensive. I wouldn't go into something because it's optically cheap. I think you got to be super choosy right now, though, because right now is not the time that people are underwriting really um, bearish, skewed underwriting uh, assumptions. So if it's going to outperform to the upside, I think you got to have a pretty good reason it's going to do it. Yeah, there's a lot of upside baked into the cake already in these prices yeah the the, the concept of zoog swan you know are you is that is it is it are we encountering it again now like there's some stuff out there that i mean there's a few of those fang stocks you can get if you're if you if you can get comfortable with the with the growth which is the hard part but if you can get comfortable with it they're kind of like i think you know, Google, uh, Facebook probably, although I don't particularly like Facebook, but, you know, Google, maybe maybe Microsoft, they're kind of in that range where there is going to be some positive return. I, just, I don't know whether it gets over your hurdle, but, you know, th what other options are there in this market? My man Tiso and I were talking about this today. Uh, you know, he's reading uh, Terry Smith's book. And Terry Smith is talking about, I mean, this is part of why I believe in the melt-up. Um, he's talking about, like, if you can get equity at a premium to bonds, uh, then you should buy it, right, where you think long-term bonds are. I mean, you can get yourself, if you don't think that inflation is coming and you think that the real rate of interest is 
pretty low because of all the deflationary aspects of tech. And then you layer on the fact that I truly believe like the working assumption is that the Fed will not let the equity market implode for some big risk, right? So now I think that you almost have uh, idiosyncratic reasons that your business can go down. But I think the assumption is like the equity risk premium as a whole has come in a little bit because, I mean, the Fed has basically, I mean, they threw a lifeline to everyone. What, what were they doing and, every other time the market fell over since 1913? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know that you have to ask Jamie Carthright or whatever, am, Investor Amnesia. What's his what's his actually his last name? Is it Carthright? Catherwood. Oh, I'm sorry, Jamie. He's way smarter than I am in history. But um, he's really like, tall. I, too, I don't know. If you know that. What? I said he's quite tall also. Is he? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I don't see how that's relevant. Thank Dream, you. Dreamy. <laughs> Do you have any other <laughs> comments? Yeah, I've got some other non sequiturs for you. All right. Um. Yeah, but I don't know. I just I just think that if you want to believe that stuff, then rates are low and the premium, you know, your spread, for lack of a better term, is tighter and you can get some pretty crazy math. If what's you what's the relationship of the ERP, the equity risk premium, the premium of bonds over, I mean, equities over bonds? What's the, what's the relationship of that in forward returns? Uh, well, if it comes in, you would think that forward <sighs> it's, returns. It's none. There's no relationship. Yeah. The relationship no. is absolute, absolute return, absolute valuation. Used Doesn't, to be, bro. Yeah, yeah, brand new world. I mean, I don't know. Yolo. Yeah. Even it's even the Fed talks time. about the equity risk premium. It's it's the weirdest thing. Regularly, show the proof. There's none. Don't we? I mean, it was well, not that long ago. March, with like data and facts. <laughs> March was a hundred years ago. Yeah, well, that felt like it. But I mean, March, like you saw junk bonds blow out to. What, what it got to like 10 percent or something yeah close i think that, so so oh. it wasn't it wasn't a year ago even where we saw these spreads blow out and yet we just pretend like it could never happen again well i don't, know. I don't think that people are pretending it can never happen it's just what do you do like right now what do you do you have cash so you want to sit bye, bye, in bye. cash <laughs> yeah but look i mean if you're in cash I understand the fear that like they're just going to incinerate the dollar. So you're holding on to something that's going to lose value year after year after year. And meanwhile, everybody is playing a game that, you know, stocks go up. And, you know, that's the classic way that you get destroyed in, in uh, you know, making a bad decision that you don't want to make. But there is an opportunity cost to not playing the game and to act as if there's not, you know, is... Uh, that's why Gra Graham really recommended you basically between twenty five and seventy five percent. Twenty five would seem to be very low to me. You kind of that is a that's a really aggressive marketing market call. But seventy five that would sometimes it seems like that's not enough. Like I think if you get a but I think about once a year you get an opportunity to get to seventy five, and then once every seven years you should be like a hundred percent. In what the market Cash? You should be fully invested? No, Actually, no, 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 no. Yeah. Sorry, the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, so Graham was saying twenty. You know, max bull, max bearishness is seventy five percent cash, which that seems that's that's a pretty aggressive bet. Like you could have been max bearishness since two thousand ten. I've been very thankful that actually the the ante of this game and you keep folding the deuce seven that you're being given has been relatively low. I mean, I'm you know there, obviously there's probably some difference between CPI and reality, but at least CPI hasn't been like ripping to the point where you're like god i can't afford to fold too many hands here but when the market when when, when infl if inflation really takes off i mean what does that do what does that do to stock prices that doesn't make them take off does it i mean i guess so. sure. historically it made... crashes them first before zimbabwe the hyper, them. all right so you get a crash and then you get the hyperinflation well there you go next big crash all in ride the hyperinflation to the moon <laughs> we haven't that sounds like a great societal that. outcome there huh <laughs> jesus I mean, look, like, like part of the, uh, if if you define wealth as relative purchasing power, you know, a guy like Puru got a whole lot more wealthy this year. Now he's got to cash out, um, but to forex your portfolio, I mean, I there's a huge opportunity cost not paying that. What? I think he rolls them pretty regularly. I think he's got a lot of short-term capital gains in there. I mean, he's in Singapore, so maybe he doesn't. I yeah. don't know how it works there. That's been one question that I have had about his strategy is how, how tax advantaged he is on a short-term basis. Because in the U.S., you get a lot of tax drag in that strategy. 
Unless you're in an IRA, right? You could do that. This is a good question on the on the on the screen at the moment. I don't know the answer to this. I'm just interested in thinking about it. Why hasn't Japan seen the high inflation? Given they kind of invented quantitative easing, they've had the zero rates since the 1990s, early like 1990. And here we are, 30 years later. Their stock market's never made it back to all-time highs. No inflation. Is it is it a demographic thing? Could be cultural, right? That's I mean, the argument. Cross holdings. Governments never let the companies fail. Part of it. I mean, part of it. Too. Complex systems. So to say, you know, why did this? We have this one outcome from a very complex system is kind of betrays the or an understanding of how complex systems work. Russell Napier came out on Real Vision recently and said that uh, he is now in the inflation camp, and the reason is the way that the government uh, guaranteed PPP uh, actually created commercial bank lending, and that's how you really have like money creation and velocity increase, whereas before the commercial banks, which he actually agrees with me, shocking, uh, the commercial banks weren't actually like the true source of lending. It was a lot of the alt lenders. Um, so like this, this particular time may be different. I mean, he switched from deflation to inflation. So it'll be interesting to watch if he's right. Yeah. Value stock geek points out the Japanese market got to a hundred times on Cape, which that's about two and a half times higher than the U S market ever got in 2000, about three times higher than where we are now. So you're telling me there's a chance. Which is roughly where it was in 1929, by the way. Not that I, I know that you sound like an idiot. Like that's like mentioning mentioning Hitler in any kind of Twitter debate. But it, it, it's expensive. I mean, it's expensive, and everybody's pretty balled up. I mean, I don't think there are a lot of people on the other side of the boat. Dude, how no, can you be short anything in this world well, right now? Oh, I don't you know. can't. You're Oof. out of your mind if you're short. Um, the only thing about the expensive thing is <laughs> you, you do. Oh, sorry, dude. <laughs> Especially the shit you're shorting right now. It's, uh, this is probably the worst time to be short what you're short. So if if you makes me feel that, good. if Bill says yeah. that, I'm saying it's the best time to be short. Yeah, that's right. That's short. what I'm feeling too. What do you mean? <laughs> On a forward just, basis, yeah, probably. I I mean I'm I don't know teasing. when it cracks. That's the problem with shorting. Like I I'm really uh the thing about shorting that is so hard and why I think Toby's smart to have a momentum overlay on how he does it is like the story's <laughs> got to crack first, right? So you can look at a lot of this yeah. absurd stuff and say, oh, I'm going to go short. I, I think that's a great way to get your face ripped off. Toby, you have a momentum overlay. So that's but a smart way to implement that strategy. The thing is, you don't get, like in March, like you don't get much notice. Yeah. Well, I mean, one way of doing it is you just go and you go and when, when, the hedges get cheap. You like you become a value investor in the hedges. So you, you buy your hedges when they look unusually cheap, like Bill Ackman did. You know he's not really he's not really prognosticating on what's he doesn't he's not thinking that something is going to happen imminently. He's just saying, you know what, now's a cheap time to put it on, so I'll buy some and see how it goes. And he's put it back on again. I I, I don't know what the answer is. I just. I, I don't talk to anybody now who's not super balled up or who's just like, you know what, it's probably going to blow off. And then there's not a single person. There's nobody in the other side of the boat. Although fear and greed's come off a little bit. I saw fear and greed was 64 today. So it's not it's not where it was a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, it was like as high as it's been since Dude, we're, late last year. We're 10% off from full panic again, though. Right? Yeah, the it's, price it seems to, it's very... so much. It seems to be... Yeah, for sure. It seems to be... It's very, very reactive. If we if we were down ten, like ten percent is an unimaginable amount in this market. But yeah, we'd be at we'd be at all time fear, extreme we, if fear. If you got ten percent, you're gonna get thirty. That's my probably that's like right. just because of the the reflexivity of that and how it it feels to me like there's a lot of people all on the same side of the boat, but they're all kind of edging towards wanting to be on the other side of the boat, and they all think that they're gonna be the one that gets there before everyone else. Yeah, well, that's the plan, right? Everybody's got one foot in the. Everybody's got one foot in the in the. Uh, what are they called? Escape. Lifeboat. The lifeboat. Thank God. Yes, everybody's got one foot in the lifeboat. 
Look, I don't, I mean, I don't know how, I'm not trying to be like argumentative with you guys. Uh, I don't know how true that is though, because like, you know, I mean, a lot of like the Motley Fool guys and the seven investing guys, I mean, what they would say is if the stock goes down 50% and the business is good, I'm a long-term investor. I don't care. And I think that that's a fine way to think. I mean, I don't, that's you know, that's not, that's the not same having, thing. yeah, that's not having one foot out the boat. Um, but I, no, 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 I'm not, but I'm not talking I'm about those guys. As, as all get out. I've never been more nervous. Uh, even though I still think I do think we probably moved to inning four though. I, I don't Ooh, think we're still right. in inning three. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how to <laughs> handicap it, but this feels frothy. That said, like I'm not gonna sell. What are you gonna do? I just think forward returns are gonna suck. Yeah, forward returns are lower from here for sure. But that's been true for a little while now and you know the market's been defying that it doesn't it doesn't uh it doesn't seem to matter. I'll tell you what's frustrating. You have like a Peloton debate and then like I'm talking about five years from now and then it's like something like today happens and some people tag me. It's like I, it can go. It, why wouldn't it double? Like we're not even having the same conversation. I'm not telling you what I, like sure this acquisition works right now they get the manufacturing capacity. I would argue that's already somewhat priced in that they're going to figure out their manufacturing capacity problems but my whole point is I don't think in three years you're going to have the same demand that you have today. I think it's a pandemic, and I think people are stuck inside with absolutely no alternative. And I love the product, and I use the product. I just think capitalizing this is a risky proposition. I mean, I so, think sure. that, that's what that's where I get to. Too. If you look at like what's the what's the underlying what are you what are you paying for the underlying business? You're paying a lot. Like a lot's got to go right for a long period of time for you to make any money out of this thing. There's just easier stuff to do. There's lots well, of good- and they got a real shot, right? If you believe that they can get all of their equipment into all these gyms, and then all of a sudden you have like this uh, royalty-based stream where people are filling gyms with Peloton products, and the owners don't have to have fitness instructors, and now all of a sudden Peloton's got all these subs, and then they're in all these hotels, and then I they thought got you were the talking like, No, I mean like anyway, Nordic, Nordic right? track. Oh yeah, those no, other ones. Diff- it is different, man. They got good uh, content, and it is a community. I mean, that's real. So you can't say it's not. It's not it's unreplicable. Just, the the Bowflex laundry hang service. It's not easy to replicate. <laughs> I but mean, I this is a good point, though. Like the when you have people looking at different time horizons, you can both be right. I mean, yeah. I think if you guys seen St. Joe's recently, I don't have any opinions on it, but it, there was a point where Einhorn was short St. Joe's. And Berkowitz was long St. Joe's, and they were both right, just over different time horizons. And so I think maybe that's where we could do a better job of getting on the same page and saying a little bit more like, this is good, this is bad. Over right? Like That's what the conversation yeah. is. This is expensive. Well, okay, maybe like over the short term, it's not that expensive. Maybe over longer term it is. I mean, maybe you're putting a little bit more... Uh, qualifications on what you're saying nuance on what you're saying will help avoid some of these stupid arguments yeah well and what the peloton conversation did for me is i was like okay i think what you guys are seeing is like the retention in these cohorts right so if you look at like their 36 month cohort so three years i think they have 80 percent retention that implies like a 15 year life right what i would argue is if you're looking at the cohort in peloton from three years years for a stationary bike Dude, I'm just let's just assume it's true, Jake. All right, because I mean, that's what the data says. I'm just making sure. What's I'm the on churn the like? I thought I thought it was a bit of churn. I'm trying to get to there. Don't make me say something that I'm going to regret on Christmas. Uh, so 80% retention. That's 20% churn over three years, right? You divide that by right. So you have five times three is your implied customer cohort life. So that's 15 years. Okay. The issue is those are the super fans. Like the people that bought Peloton three years ago are like these crazy spin fanatics. The five-month cohort in the middle of a pandemic is showing a 5% decrease, right? So 95% retention. So that to me implies a 10-year fade on that cohort. So you got like a 10-year life and those people don't have a choice. And if you believe that a lot of people are moving to the sun – I haven't really touched my bike since I've gotten to Florida. I don't really want to be on it. You know why? Because it's nice outside. So, like, yeah, I agree 
that in the middle of a pandemic, when people are living in cities and it's super cold outside, people are signing up for, for Pelotons. I'm talking about what happens in four or five years. That That's the nuance of the conversation. So I understand how you can get to an upside. I just, it's not a bet I'd make. But in all of these things, you're trying to work out, like, I don't really give a shit where the stock price is in five years time. I'm just trying to work out where's the business going to be in five years time. So there is your problem. <laughs> that, that has been my problem so far. <laughs> but you know, when, when, when you that, that, like, that's hard to handicap. That's really hard to do. Like that's when, when I say that, what, a re, what I'm what embedded within that is that for most businesses, that's really, really hard to do. That's too hard to do. So you've got to find something that's got a little bit of a history before you can even go and do that sort of thing. You need reasonably stable managers. You need to get an idea about what they've done historically, what the margins have been. It's all really hard to do. And so with the newer stuff, you just don't have enough operating history. You don't have enough look at what their competitors are. You don't have enough look at what management does with their investments. I mean, maybe Peloton's doing all the right things and everybody's really comfortable with it. I just think you're paying a lot of money right now. Like we always gag about zero interest rates, pulling forward all of the future. Like you're paying for it as if it's all happened now and maybe it's zero interest rates. It doesn't matter. But aren't there easier kind of bets out there to make? Well, I think what the Peloton longs would say is the three of us are idiots that have missed well, a five X, and they'd be right. Right. This is, I mean, this is why tech should be trading at a at a discount to normal businesses, right? Because it's so hard to understand what the future is going to look like. It depends and on yet, it. You don't want to blanket it though, right? Because you've got to be careful. There are well, some compounding right, subscription type businesses in there. If we're talking high tech, like churning out bit, new bits of, if we're talking about, you know, churning out new computer chips or new bits of hardware all the time where they're competing on that part that's really really hard i mean i don't think you can project too far forward on that but if you're talking about you know apple's probably not in that business anymore like can anybody really tell me what the difference between the current phone is and the one that was out like three years ago there's none it's it's a consumer product now it's like a magnet on it now, doesn't it? I don't know. <laughs> it's got an extra blade, a, so you can. They're gonna make a lot of money on Cameo, so you can shave other parts of your body. <laughs> the car, you know, they got the car. You'll have the Apple Rundle. I mean, look, I think what the Peloton people would tell you is, you're gonna have. Yes, there is change. These are the guys that have invented the change. Now they have scale. Now they're gonna buy manufacturing. Now they have capital to compete. No one else is gonna be able to compete with them. I my gut tells me it's a spin niche that maybe they dominate for a while and then people get tired of spin. Yeah, that's 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 the bigger issue for them. Like I, I they probably they've won spinning. Cupcakes. They've won sitting at <laughs> bikes at home. But that's not like the Bowflex. These things have all moved in waves and fads. It was you know the shake weight for a little while. <laughs> it's different than a shake weight. I do it's think you guys hoop. somewhat underestimate the community aspect of it. It's a good product. You know, lots of people used to go to MySpace too. You can't see your friends. MySpace was huge. MySpace, you know, uh, yeah. Tom, everybody's everybody's good friend. Tom, where's Tom now? He's just. I'll tell you, living on his seven hundred million dollars. Yeah. One thing that I was thinking is the the gym business that was taking a lot of share was like these micro gyms, right? So whether it's soul cycle or orange theory or some of these, like I do think people are definitely looking for an alternative to like lifetime fitness and whatnot. Um, and maybe my blind spot is at scale. Peloton may be able to offer people personal training at actually a pretty reasonable price. That could be the thing I'm not seeing. Um, but I think that the reason that like SoulCycle and those smaller gyms work is you're coming together as a community and like that, forget about the online community that I talked about, like really knowing the people that you're working out with, uh, that I think is meaningful to a lot of people that choose that experience. I don't know that you get that in Peloton because there's so many people in every class. It's just a leaderboard that drives you. It's, I, I don't like meet up. I guess if people are meeting up a lot, I don't know, maybe. Seems like a small, small segment of what's going on. Look, you don't want to be doing cardio. <laughs> you don't want to be doing cardio. You want to lift heavy. That's all you need to do. Get yourself a well, rack. I... It's cheap. For the amount of money that you spend on a Peloton, you get yourself a rack and like 330 pounds of weights. So that'll be enough. Well, I Some think that's an interesting comment 
because a lot of people like one thesis is like people care about health more and Peloton is like a health app. Well, there's a lot of guys that say that cardio actually isn't all that helpful. Right. And that lifting heavy and eating right. Yeah. There you go. I just said that. Yeah, I know. So that's what I'm saying. Like, is it really healthier? I don't know. It's probably good for your heart occasionally, but I'm not sure. I mean, a rack is a rack is the same price as a Peloton. And then you don't have someone shouting at you while you're using it. It's great. I like people shouting at me. I've got that part of me. I like yeah. to be told that I'm fat and weak. That's <laughs> by a hot chick. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's usually by a guy who's oh, well. better looking than I'll ever be. My old trainer used to call me Muffin Top. That was super depressing because of the way my stomach is. 330 pounds is not enough weight. There's always got to be some asshole who comes some in and says that. Yeah. I'm talking on the bench, dick. <laughs> And when I do my deads, I do I do sets of twenty five, five sets of twenty five by four hundred, plus yeah. rubber bands, plus a, a weighted vest. Everyone's a, everyone's a hero <laughs> behind their own. All <laughs> right, let's get some questions in before Hit us with we the run out of time. To say you lift heavy on YouTube, you loser. Get out of here. Go go play with your shake weight. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Bill, Bill, you. you Give- Bill froze up, but he's making a good face, so it's fine. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. I was taking a shot at somebody. Well, they, they got the last laugh. <laughs> What's that? Sorry, right, TC, hit us up. I'm I'm still I'm still waiting, but it's uh I'm still waiting for the questions. But uh, no one cares. <laughs> no, no one cares. 2020, what a wild ride! From the lows in March to uh to the highs of like a week ago. Anybody, well, the highs uh, of January to the lows of March. To yeah, well, that's a the... good point. That's a good point. A decade in one year, plus uh, we got COVID twenty twenty to look forward to. COVID twenty. Twenty twenty one. The sequel. Know, the sequel should be amazing. <laughs> you guys got any stimulus bill thoughts? More stimmy, baby. I do find it a little interesting that we went from like seemed like serious debate about what 700 billion meant in 2008 to like hey fuck it let's just do uh 900 billion that seems like a good number let's just and then like we'll throw it out and we're going to vote on it in on like 8000 pages worth of stuff in like 2 hours <laughs> What are we doing Well you know Neil Cash Carey has talked about how they came up with 700 billion they asked him and he was just they just was like that, that's a really big number. Uh, it's not, what, you know, yeah, it's not a round Yeah, what's the biggest trillion. number that we can What's get the biggest number with? you can think of? How high can you count? Yeah. 700 billion. So I've got a good question here. Uh, models from five years ago, what did you find your deviations were? So I've talked about this quite a few times. Um, and Jake is always a big part of this conversation because Jake wrote this great article saying, pointing out that the distribution of the spread from the most expensive stocks to the cheapest stocks about five years ago, 2015, 2016, was very, very tight. And he concluded from that that it was the worst value opportunity set in 25 years. And I took that article and I put it up on Greenbacked, which was the little blog I was running at the time. And I just pointed all that stuff out, completely understood what he, what he was saying and then just didn't think about it beyond that for one moment. And, you know, Jake at Economic, the other, the other Jake on Twitter, uh, was also Not pointing out that all the style boxes, all the morning star style boxes were exactly this. Like you, you're getting the same PE for large cap growth as you were for small cap value. That doesn't make any sense. So at that time, that was the very best time to be putting on uh, a big growth bet because when the better companies are priced like the, wor- the, the, the less good companies, you want to be in the better companies. Uh, it's a totally different scenario now. My mistake at that time was that I thought then that it's it's very compressed, the spread, but I thought it was like pretty expensive all around. So yeah. it wasn't that attractive in general. But then we we went into like a new world and like what was big was able to keep growing at, at rates that are quite off of what base rates would typically indicate when you get to that size. And like that, I mean, that was like a game changer for the next five years. My mental model was off there at that point. What if you had 
What if you had shorted out the value? Uh, I wouldn't. It I would, would be hard do to do, right? It would be hard to do. Yeah. It's psychologically extremely hard to do something like that. Short out the value and get long the growth. Oh. I don't have that kind of uh, <laughs> mental flexibility. <laughs> but it would have paid Good off pretty man. well. Would have been the right move. I mean, the reason the spread matters, right, is if, uh, I mean, other than the fact that economic growth should be worth a lot more, is like, let's talk about some of these companies that are a 2% free cash flow grower or, you know, 2% free cash flow yield. Um, you know, if you're getting eight off something, that 2%'s got to double twice, right? Two, four, eight. Uh, how many years does that take? You get an 8% today in the interim. Like, if, if you are underwriting the true cash flow, back to yourself or the, you know, business owner, which I think is somewhat what you were talking about, Toby, right? When you said like, if you're underwriting cash flow rather than putting a multiple on these things, right. the out of the gate cash flow, you know, is, uh, it matters. Now, you know, you just got to acknowledge that usually you're going down into some sort of hairy story for that. Right. So which ones are you willing to sort of go down for? Um, and then you got reinvestment rate risk, right? So if I get, like if I get 8% today, I got to do something with that. And if the market's up 30%, you know, does my 8% today really help me? Maybe not, but, um, can't go up 30% for every, ever. Or can it? It depends how much money you print, I guess, in relative terms. Yeah. So what do we do if value keeps on sucking for the next decade as it has for the last decade? I don't know. My rants will get even more mean. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to join you. This is going to be a really bitter, bitter podcast. I didn't think I was that ranty. It's a good one, it's a good one for you, Jake. What's, what's, what do we do if fatty sucks for the next 10 years? Um, Keep the number for that truck driving school. Yeah, here's the thing. I, I mean... I'm sure I will regret these words at some later, but like I think you've already gotten most of your returns for the next 10 years. If you're an index investor, if you're towards the growth of your end, uh, and in those kind of sideways choppy markets, I think like value tends to do okay there. Like value did pretty good in Japan. If you paid attention to when you were buying, um, at, at multiple different periods and, you know, if that's the, I would say like value has a really good shot. I, what I'm going to say is that if anyone has a shot at it for the next 10 years, it's value. Maybe no one does and that. I am willing to concede that, um, that maybe everything might suck for the next 10 years potentially. Uh, but, uh, who knows? I well, don't ask me. I've been wrong for, you've been wrong for years, a decade. <laughs> yeah. No one should be listening to me. <laughs> Well, I'm in the same boat, so let me take a swing at it. I got ARK Fund up on the Buy the ARK Fund. Yeah, hedge it out with ARK. I think a lot of people are doing that. It's like uh, the, the main ARK Fund is now more heavily traded than SPY. And uh, there's more flows. That, that All the ARK Funds are in the top 100 ETFs by, in terms of flows. Kathy Wood's running $50 billion. There's a lot of money flowing into And it was like tech $2 stocks. billion or something, what, like... At the beginning of the year, I can't, I don't, I might be off on that, but I read somewhere it was just like this absolute rocket ship. She might have been I seven be at the start of the year, might have been two last year. It's, it's been, it's been a ridiculous ride. And uh, she's been right. But I, I do, I do worry a little bit if there's a little bit of that Janus fund. For folks who don't know, Janus fund in the, in the late 1990s was something like ARC. They were getting flows and they were jamming into the same stocks, which, you know, then turned up as further returns in those stocks. And it all looks really good when it's going in one direction. When it turns, uh, it's pretty ugly on the other side too. I don't know. Kathy's been right for a long time. Um, I would just say this. When I look at value now, the two things that were missing five years ago when Jake wrote his great article, um, the spread is now very, very wide between the most overvalued and the most undervalued. And when I look at the undervalued stocks, you know, if you do a back of the envelope valuation of these things. You can go and look on Morningstar at the portfolios of mine that are, are up there and you can have a look at them on any metric. They're better than the index and they're better than 
uh, you know, this is to in yield, growth, take your pick, cash flow, earnings, book. I, I think it would be very hard from here for value to at least deliver reasonable returns. I don't know how that's going to go relative to the other stuff, but I'd back it over the other stuff. I mean, I am, so I'm talking my book to be to be completely clear, but I, I kind of feel like um, this is what it looks like when if you're a value guy and you get really bombed out, this is the time to make your bet. Who knows what's going to happen in the short I term, but longer term. That, yeah, that if you if you believe reversion to the mean is dead for whatever reason, then keep doing what we've been doing or what what's been working. But there are so many places, so many data sets where reversion to the mean is going to be bad news for a lot of these things, whether it's growth rates, interest rates valuations, uh, returns on capital. Um, I mean, just a million different ways that you can lose if there's reversion to the mean with what's been working. And other ways to win if you get reversion to the mean in the other way. But if somehow we found some new permanent place where the mean no longer, we're like, we've moved beyond means and we're in a new world, then we're probably going to have a rough go slight addendum to that is i think it's the pace at which it reverts to the mean because i don't think anybody that's buying like snowflakes expects perpetual 180 percent growth right it's just they fade it probably a little bit more aggressive well dude the first four or five years they might i mean they might you got to believe things for a really long time okay and i think that's where people like the three of us disagree with people that are willing to take the shot on goal on something like snowflake and i also think that it matters how big you have it in your portfolio. If it's 0.5%, I could care less if it's in your portfolio. It really doesn't do much. Yeah. You know? I understand the pitch for Snowflake. It's a, it's a SaaS creating a new cloud and Buffett's Berkshire has bought it. I mean, what what other signs do you need to take a swing at it? Like, that's that's a pretty comprehensive list of, uh, of reasons to own it, right? Well, I think oh, it's how sticky it is. I think there's ah, more to it than just that. I think that that's. I think oh, I'll bet you that if you ask a lot of people, that's the full extent of the the reason why they bought it from here. Oh, that's probably true. I mean, I don't I, think and I don't think that's wrong. Going on. I don't think that's wrong. It's got a lot of yeah. qualities that you that you know Buffett's bought it. I mean, that's that's literally like literally all I see on all day long on Twitter is people speculating about which like Buffett's going to buy PayPal, like stuff like that. Like people speculating about which Buffett's going to buy Tesla. <laughs> Just laughing. I would be shocked. If that was actually Buffett that bought Snowflake, yeah, come on, it's probably right. Yeah, but let's I think not, you let's not do your own work. get in the weeds of nuance of these things. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sticky business. It's a good story. Uh, I get it. Whatever. Uh, can I two quick things? Somebody asked me about WWE's rights. I don't really know. I I, I think sports rights in general are going to be tough. Uh, just because cord, you're in the face of cord cutting. I don't really have a good sense of how big WWE can go direct to consumer. And then uh, Mike Bartlett said that I reminded him of somebody. Guess what, Mike? You remind me of uh, no one. Okay, next. Because you're a gnat. Next. Troll me. <laughs> Come on, Bill. You're better than that. <laughs> I'm just having fun. Toby's a little nervous right now. Toby's I'm, like, I'm, just, trying to, I'm just trying to find – how do I move the conversation on? I'm trying to find a question. Hit me with a good question. Uh. Is secrecy a benefit for investing? Are there good investors that don't feel the need to constantly talk their books? I'd say, yeah, a lot. <laughs> most of the good ones. Probably yeah, most, I'd say yeah. most of the good ones don't do this. Uh, yeah, you just... Right, um, like Norbert Liu, that guy you can't find. That guy is a monster. Punch card. Yeah. he's He doesn't do interviews and stuff. Dude, you have like three positions. You just focus on those. You don't need to get on well this is a good question to follow up then like you the whole twit is twitter mr market or not oh yeah i don't know man kind of i think it might be ahead of the market i'm starting to think that i, th I that's think that's what mr market would think you you got yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, but you gotta you know there are certainly twitter accounts that are not mr market and if you're following yeah. those twitter accounts then you're doing okay if you're polling twitter as a whole I don't know. Fintwit, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. I think Fintwit, the accounts that I follow pretty closely on Fintwit, I kind of feel like they all coalesce around similar, pretty solid ideas at the same time. I mean, I think you could use it as your research team. Yeah, I wish that there were more women 
Um, I, I think that part of the problem with Twitter is you just skew like so heavy young male. Uh, not, you there know, that there are more accounts that identify as, as female than there are actual female users of the Females. accounts, I think. Yeah. This is true. Yes. Yes, there are what, some uh, imposters out there. We need some academics to do some actual real research on this about like ideas in the fintwit. Like, do they, is there signal there or not? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think um, Wes graded that. He looked at, well, sorry, it wasn't Twitter. It was some zero. But I think that he oh, found that they, he were, find? They, they were, there's, um, the, I think it was Value Investors Club and some zero. And I think he did find that they were, they, they were alpha generators. I mean, it's smart people sharing their best idea to get noticed. It makes sense. I mean, if you've got um, a value bent across a whole lot of guys, you're going to get, and there, there's a variety of value yeah. in there, right? There's growthy value and there's deep value. Probably. That's probably mm. a pretty good, portfolio so is it better question wait before you cut us damn you toby and your time uh the better question is did the people that pitch the ideas realize the gains well that's a good question because that is a different skill i think i think a lot of folks uh uh watch list does better than they do that's what i'm saying and i suffer from that too which is why i sort of became more quantitative but i'm going to try something uh just for fun try something else too yeah. Well, folks, Merry Christmas. I, w- I didn't yeah. mean to be so randy. I love you guys. I love the fans, except for Mike Bartlett. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy Thanks ho- for listening to these three bozos. Happy holidays, folks. Happy New Year. We'll see you in the new year. Um, let's look forward to 2021 being uh, maybe not as strong in the markets, but better for everybody personally. Yeah, like going outside and meeting each other again or something. Like, that would be really nice. See you, folks.